Hello everybody and welcome to Into the Prey, Breaching the Chaos of the Church with Nick and Mary Franks. Welcome to our final episode of our Eschatology Explained series. I think this is episode four, having taken an introductory session and then one episode each for the pre-millennial, post-millennial and now a-millennial position, or as the Americans say, a-millennial. Uh, well, maybe maybe you're British, you say a-millennial as well, who cares? That's the least of our concerns. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Um, yeah, so today we wanted to finish up with the last one and look at, yeah, the amillennial view and what, if you follow this view, what are the kind of main things that you would believe about it and just have a quick look at some of those. When, and we've not compared and contrasted these uh, different positions. We began, as you'll recall, by essentially saying that we don't think that premillennial dispensationalism is legitimate. We don't think it's helpful. In fact, we'll conclude at the end of this episode today by explaining why why that is and what the main consideration for, for us should be as regards to uh, the future of the church and how we all um, think about that, pray about that, and crucially pre- prepare for that. Um, so, yeah, we've not compared and contrasted these. We just really wanted to set them out for people to be um, thinking and studying, really. And on that point, let me let me just say this before we get into the distinctives of amillennialism, which is to encourage everybody. I, I Back in 2009, I remember watching this when it first came out. It's called the evening, An Evening of Eschatology. We've mentioned this, I'm sure, even in this series mm. before. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've not watched that, you, you really should because it's immensely helpful and it's not immensely helpful for a one-off watch. It's immensely helpful even if you repeatedly go back and watch it and I would encourage you to do just that. Don't just watch it once, you know, maybe go back and watch it a few times and get into a group and and watch it and then that kind of thing. And the main reason for that is every time I watch it, and I've watched it probably about five times now, I learn something new every Mm. every time. There are some things that remain with me, linger with me, and I've learned something that stayed with me, which which is pivotally important for other learning and that kind of thing. Um, but in going back to it, it, there's just there's so much in in the video. It's about two hours, mm. and I won't explain what the video is now for the sake of time. Now, but it's it's just this. It 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 really does demonstrate. It displays the very point of of doing this eschatology explained because of course we haven't really explained it. We've explained the basics, but we've mm. not answered anything particularly, except by saying we don't think this is legitimate and we think these. These other three positions are legitimate. So I suppose we've explained and answered that. But the the whole thing isn't um, finalised. We're not, you know, as I think we'll probably talk about in a Mm. moment, each of these three positions have problems. But the thing that the video does, this the evening of eschatology, it just, it shows me how little I know my Bible. It makes me feel like a complete newbie with biblical literacy it makes me it, and and not in a bad way like it doesn't i don't feel condemned I, part of me feels jealous and envious because i mm, want to know my yeah. bible better and i see people who are much much uh more familiar with scripture and that kind of thing and it so it, it kind of encourages me i want to know I want, and i and as part of that we want you listening to us to feel that as well um, not to feel overawed with this to the point where you just think, well, we can't possibly know. There are always problems. What's the point? And then as a result, your Bible just collects dust, but rather to really live and breathe it, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and to feel strongly about it and to have that sense of 
strong feeling about truth, you know, rather than it being, oh, well, it's okay, we'll just agree to disagree and, you know, it's quite jovial and whatever. We, we don't divide over this. Well, we do in some cases, as we've said. Um, the dispensational stuff is something to, yeah, to divide. Yeah, that is different, but yeah. But we don't divide. We don't say how we don't watch Doug Wilson because he's a he's a post-millennialist. Yeah. There's so much that I learn from him, but I don't see post-millennialism in the Bible. Um, so that's worth just saying. If you've not watched An Evening of Eschatology, just go to Desiring God or Google An Evening of Eschatology and the video will come up. Make sure that you have two hours. Don't try and watch it on the bus or whatever. Just have a have an evening, get some friends over, maybe break bread and have some wine. And, and you know, how much better that than watching some inappropriate film on Amazon Prime? And the, I think the other thing that I noticed just we as we rewatched it, is just that this isn't a topic that you just you're just going to get. You've got to invest time in understanding the different perspectives and how how they affect your interpretation of other parts of scripture, like you're saying, about the depth of knowledge that you need to have of your Bible and able to really to really get your head around even just one of these views is is huge. You know, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of reading, it's a lot of study and it's I think like a lot of biblical things, it's not just something that you're going to get over overnight. Understanding and knowing your Bible is a lifetime study. You've got to invest in it and you have to be willing to do that in order to really understand. And I think as we've come back to this video and watched bits of it, I'm like, oh, I really, I really understand what that argument is about now. Whereas before, the first time I watched it, I just felt lost. I didn't even know what people were talking about because I just didn't have a good grasp of any of these views at all. Mm. And of course, once you once you understand the main points of where different people are coming from, it can really help help you to dive into other bits of scripture. It gives you a kind of foundation to do that and to really engage with the mm. arguments. So if you do watch it the first time and you think, I'm lost, I don't really know what's going on with this don't be disheartened by no. that at all it, i think that's mm. a normal thing to happen if you've not really got your head around this topic but be encouraged that it's just the beginning of something and that from that point you can then go on to really have mm -hmm. a better and deeper understanding of it yeah when you watch it you are looking you're listening to people who are um i'm not sure but piper and um uh, storms and wilson are all father figures, really. The other chap who's the pre-millennial, I can't remember his name. Hamilton. Yeah, what's his first name? I could you know it's Ham something Hamilton. Yeah, anyway, he's a little bit younger, but they're all, they're all, don't don't compare yourself to them mm. initially. That's just, it's just, there's a standard there to, to kind of strive towards. And yeah, we, we, it is a lifetime study in one sense, but there's so much to say around all of this that isn't even to do with one of these particular positions. You know, it, there is a lifetime, but it's also urgent. Hmm. There's an urgency with which we should be approaching the scriptures about this um, for the reason that we'll maybe focus on at the right, right at the end, which is the, the implications of this being wrong. Um, you know, the dangers of that. So it's not a kind of sit back and enjoy the ride, just, you know, you've got decades. Well, you might not have decades and even... You know, there might not be that long and we need urgency. And the other thing to say on this is that listening to Piper and the guys involved in this, it's obvious to me who's more gifted as a teacher. And for these, you know, if, you, if you're thinking about complex things like chemistry or 
just any any complex subject, if your teacher isn't gifted or very good as a teacher, you're going to be struggling, mm. you know? And for me, listening to Piper, he's exceptionally clear as a teacher, gifted and obviously so as a teacher, as is um, the other chap. What's his name? Hamilton. Hamilton, Hamilton who who's the, just happens to be the pre-mill position. I find Doug Wilson much harder to follow as a teacher. I'm not sure that he is gifted particularly as a teacher. I think he's gifted in a prophetic way. Um, but it's just incumbent upon local church leadership that, that teachers, mm. that teachers are in the pulpit teaching these complex things. Mm-hmm. If you've either got people in the in the pulpit who aren't gifted as teachers and are just making it more confusing and less clear, <laughs> yeah. or you've got people that are just you know in the pulpit and they're they're not remotely interested in this, they don't consider it to be important, important yeah. enough, let alone urgent. Mm. You know, again, it's this thing of like if you're in a church like that. You really shouldn't be. Um, and even more radical, you'd, you'd say to the people leading that church, if you're not gifted as a teacher, you shouldn't be the teacher of a church. Yeah. Anyway, we're, t- we're talking about amillennialism today, and we're just going to keep this quite brief and give you the kind of distinctives, the difference, um, just the distinctives of this particular position. Yes. So... Um... The actual phrase a millennium is can be a bit confusing because it often means that there's not a millennium, but actually um, people who hold to this view do believe in the millennium. It's just that it's not a literal one in the sense that other positions would understand. So they view the millennium, as we read about in chapter 20 of Revelation, to be um, a heavenly reign with Christ in the intermediate intermediary state. Um, so there's no expectation of a physical millennium or a physical kingdom on earth just now. Um, so that's where the kind of main distinction happens and where it's, it's yeah, name derived the, from. The, the millennium um, is in heaven, not on earth. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. A heavenly reign, yeah. Um, and it's it's also understood to be a symbolic period of time. So the thousand years also is not a literal thousand years, but a symbolic period. And Amillennius would understand that this period began at the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's where it basically began. And it will end when Christ returns at the end of the age. So that is... And that is the period distinct to mm. the thousand-year reign um, that is understood to be the millennium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, again, it's worth highlighting here that this whole debate across these three legitimate positions that that we that we're also uh, showcasing is that there are different um, biblical ways of studying the Bible. In other yeah. words. Um, hermeneutic or exegetical principles, what happens, for example, if you come across something that seems to contradict or, you know, and having an awareness of that. And again, you know, if you're not in a church where you're kind of Mm. thinking like this and being taught like this, it's like, guys, please, it just grieves. It's such Mm. a grief, isn't it, to think that you haven't got access or you're not in a community where you're thinking about things like exegesis and principles. Another example, like harmonizing. It's all it's all revolving around Revelation mm-hmm. 20, really, as you'll see if you watch the video. So, so there's harmonizing and then the whole thing of how you exegete. Um, 
all of that's really important. And also just the basics of things like literary genre, historical settings, all these things yeah. are important. And if you miss out any yeah. of them, you can massively misinterpret a whole book of the Bible, a whole passage, yeah. and interpret it in a completely incorrect way. So there mm-hmm. are basic principles when it comes to reading not just the Bible, but any book, but especially yeah. the Bible, that you have to uphold certain certain things and certain principles. Otherwise, you can just go way off course with all kinds of things. And that's where people end up with mad understandings about who Jesus is and all mm-hmm. sorts of nonsense. Yeah. And Another one of those would be authorial <laughs> intent. What did the person who wrote the book mean to convey mm. when they were writing it? And if you extrapolate that, what did... What did what does God mean? What was God's intent for His book, yeah. and the and the different genres within it? So um, they discuss that kind of thing. We should keep that all in mind as we think about eschatology, because we're looking invariably at the Book of Revelation, which is an apocalyptic form of literature, and those those uh, dynamics of what's called harmonizing or how you interpret one scripture in light of another and all that is what did the author intend to to communicate when they wrote it at that point in history you know all of those things if if you're not understanding them you're you're fighting a losing battle mm. really i would say yeah mm-hmm. sorry that was an interjection that was an interjection so a couple of other points just main things that <clears throat> you would hold to in this view um so knowing what the the understanding of the millennium is um during the millennium uh, the general belief is that Satan uh, was bound at the death and resurrection and he is therefore une- unable to deceive the nations as we read about in chapter 19 of Revelation. So there's this um, restricting of the work of Satan, specifically, I think, in relation to the spreading of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so, the nations, yeah, yeah, and the nations. So that... The gospel is able to go out by the power of the Holy Spirit and be fruitful and to gather people in uh, through redemptive salvation. And all of that is able to happen because Satan has been bound in relation to this specific point. Um, In line with this, believers are still able to expect persecution, suffering, trials, even death. All of this martyrdom, is, yeah. yeah. All of this is expected in human history throughout the millennium, as the kingdom, um, God's kingdom, expands and spreads and grows. There will be an equal spreading and expansion of persecution and trials and all of this as well. So there's not. That's where it obviously differs to the post-millennialism. There's this sense of as has been throughout history for Christians, that is what will continue to happen. Um, so at the end of the age, um, Jesus will return. At the end of the millennium, Jesus will return. And at this point, um, everyone will be resurrected. There will be the second coming, obviously, the final resurrection, the judgment of all people on earth, of all the good, all the evil, and there will then be the inauguration of the new heavens and the new earth, and all of that will take place at the very end of the millennium after the final battle of Armageddon, and that will be the end of the age. So I think 
I think there's quite a logical and understandable reason why amillennialism would be, you know, why people would believe it. Because I think it, it does create, it's quite easy to understand, I think, compared to maybe some of the other mm. um, views that are held. You have this kind of Jesus came, died, was resurrected, the millennium is now. And then Jesus will come at the end of the age and that will be it. There mm -hmm. will be the new heavens and the new earth and the, the kingdom of God. Yeah. Yeah, it's certainly understandable. But as as we, I don't know if you want to talk about this now, the fact, I mean, is that essentially what you want? That's essentially it. That's the kind of basic overview. <clears throat> and again, we've not wanted to do a session of comparing and contrasting. I mean, we could potentially do that having gone through the three main eschatologies is to do a session comparing and contrasting the three of them but we, we're keeping this quite brief because if you're tracking with this and you're, you'll be studying your bible and reading your bible as as you're doing it it's in some senses there's less difference between some than others mm -hmm. um for example post-millennialism or originally amillennialism was recognized i think it was up until the early 20th century as being uh, post-mill and a-mill were the, essentially regarded as post-mill. You know, there wasn't an a-mill at that point. So clearly there were more similarities there between post-mill and a-mill. Um, and as we've done in previous episodes, the difference between dispensational and historic pre-mill, um, you know, again, there are similarities. Mm -hmm. And even within historic pre-mill, which, which we would view as legitimate as opposed to dispensationalism, mm -hmm. You know, there are huge, you know, there can be quite a lot of variance within each view. Each yeah. view. Mm -hmm. um, and again, Sam Storms made the point regarding a, a millennialism that, uh, you know, sometimes people think, as you've said, that the, these guys don't believe there's a millennium. Well, they do. It's just that they don't it, believe it's on Earth. Their understanding of it, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So again, it's, it's worth just, um, it's worth just finishing by saying that, of course, even each of these guys who are effectively experts on these positions, I mean, I think it's probably worth saying that of the th of the three guys, Sam Storms, again, a father figure, you know, he's been around for a while. He'd, he'd uh, originally been part of the Dallas Seminary where the other chap, Hamilton, was a graduate from as well. Um, and Sam Storms had originally been, you know, believed in dispensationalism and then moved to pre-mill historical and then has landed on amillennialism. So mm -hmm. of those three people, he's moved around he's 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 moved around three times as much as the others. I mean to be fair they didn't talk about that. But no. the, the impression that was was very clear I thought was that Sam Storms had moved around a little bit more. Which is nothing wrong with that, you know. There's nothing wrong with, um, although Sam Storms did use the word repent right at the end. He did, yeah, he did use it in relation to. And he said it kind of jovially, but he was serious as I well. Think he if, was, yeah. If Piper, uh -huh. if Piper could have showed him something, then he, he, the only response to that is to repent. Actually, which comes back to the point I've made a number of times, which is that as time rolls on, bearing in mind that was filmed in. 2009 and how much has changed since then which is why i think these guys should redo that yeah um that video um is that you know you as time rolls on marches on you would expect there to be increasing repentance from really good men who have held to certain positions that that now become palpably untrue 
you know? If, if I don't know, Doug Wilson and the guys there at Moscow, Idaho, you know, if if they're expecting there to be some kind of, um, you know, outworking of Christian rule and reign within American politics. But of course, I think the easy thing, the easy justification to that is they won't be expecting it within the next 10 years. They're meaning over the course of human history. So I've heard Doug Wilson speak about this specifically. Uh, in the example he gave was in planting a hedge, that everything counts now because it could be here for hundreds of years. Mm. So there's not this um, there's not this kind of expectation of an imminent thing happening, from my understanding of listening to him anyway. It's that there's this long projection of human history potentially. Yeah, and, and you, you know... One of the struggles I have with that, one of several, is that I, I'm, you know, a point came in Israel's history where God effectively said enough was enough. Mm-hmm. The sound of my suffering people has come into my ears and I've come down to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Is God just going to let abortion continue? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's, yeah, I mean, it, it's all very well, same well. For centuries more. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Can you see the world even just surviving yeah. centuries more let alone decades more yeah. that that kind of thing so anyway and in light of speaking about this i guess what's interesting about the amillennial view and its its closeness with historical premillennialism is mm. the expectation of suffering suffering yeah. yeah what what is expected of the church over the, the coming years and decades mm-hmm. and for um amillennials they're not looking for some kind of improving world condition the expectation is as it has been throughout history that there will be the continuation Mm -hmm. of suffering of persecution of violence of all of these things that are going to go on and sam storms in the in this video even said that he he's assuming that that will actually get worse Mm -hmm. he's not expecting it to so even from him which i'm not sure is maybe a general amillennial view but that would, of course, be the same as the historical premillennialism, that there's this kind of downward tra- trajectory mm. of human history where the expectation is that things are going to get worse before Jesus returns. And there is potentially that same view being held by him as well. And certainly, if not that view, there's certainly the continuation of difficulty for Christians across the world um, on the run up to Jesus' return. Yeah, and keep in mind that the that the video we're referencing was recorded in two thousand and nine, and at that point you would be you'd be harder pushed to to talk about any form of per, any form of persecution in the West. You know, persecution mm. of the saints being a third world reality that yeah. really puts the, the the first world to shame. But actually, what's what's changed? One of the biggest changes since two thousand and nine is that persecution. Um, I guess is less romanticized. It's not just in China. It's not just underground in Iran. You know, the reality is that this, and I think let's maybe talk about this for a bit. This whole thing of despising that I've laboured in recent weeks and months, and in the and in the video, the context of the power. Please go to YouTube and watch that if you've not. Picking up your cross, going out. We're doing it this Sunday. It's a it's a horrible thought. Mm. Um, you see, you know, the 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 the, the despising of the pro-choice camp with respect to those who believe the bible um 
I've lost my train of thought. What was I saying? Well, I think basically just that what used to be an unthinkable reality yes. because we live in like a democratic um, freedom of speech, all this, th- what was a real reality when I was growing up, mm-hmm. you know, when I was in school, it was always, you know, everybody has the right to say what they want. Mm-hmm. Whereas now words have become weaponized, mm-hmm. you anti-hate speech, all this sort of stuff has really taken, has been taken up. And is a real threat. I mean, if you subscribe to any emails by the by Christian Concern or the Christian Institute, they weekly have stuff up about people losing their jobs over yeah. holding on to Christian values or beliefs and basically losing their livelihoods because they now are apparently part of hate speech or something and, like and, that. Yeah, and check this out. Um, not only is that true, but also, you know, it's this topsy-turvy nature of of the reality of spiritual things you know what what's worse um and i say this with care because i know this is a reality for some people what's worse being in iran or being in in one of those other nations uh, countries where you're not sure if you're physically going to be safe Mm. you know will will a spouse come home at the end of the day or not what's worse that but being in a spiritual environment where that's recognized as the reality and that community reflects that or being in the West in this country where you might end up losing your job. If you've got the fire of the Holy Spirit burning in your heart and your mind and you end up losing your job, it's not just that you're losing your job. It's that you're thrown into, I think, a a shameful reality, which is that you've got some kind of third sect, you know, parachurch organization as good as they are in many ways christian concern having to pick it up and take it into mm. the to the courts w- rather than the christian community being in a in a state of health to support the individual to for prayer and support and camaraderie and all those things that you see in the book of acts so what's worse mm. be, being in being in the third world where you might have a more pressing sense of physical danger even unto death every day and yet you're you're in the burning beating heart of a of a church that's much more faithful to the pages of the new testament or he, over here where you might lose your job and it's like where's your support mm-hmm. we've referred to this in recent weeks you know who would you call if you were arrested mm-hmm. yeah we might get arrested on sunday you know the church it, you know you assume that it would be harder to be over in these third world places, but I think that's I think that's a false assumption. Yeah, I think it is. Mm-hmm, I agree. I think I think there's a a spiritual lethargy in our country that means that people just they can kind of pick and choose. I think, and there's this reliance on some kind of understanding that we still do live in a country that is very open to all thought and all freedom of speech and yeah. and actually I think you know when we look at what what's happened with COVID and everything related to it and all the little streams of things that have come as a result of it um, it's easy to sweep that all up as conspiracy theory because that's a nice easy way to do it but actually are we spiritually aware to what's happened with that do we know the implications of all these things that are going on or are we happy just to accept somebody saying, oh, that's just a conspiracy theory that couldn't possibly be true? Yeah. Um, are we reading all these things in light of scripture? Are we awake to them? Are we thinking about them? Are we, are we, I don't know, are we just engaged with this or not? 
my money would be on the reality that if you brought people from the underground church in China who are gagging for the word of God, or those who are aware of the risk to their lives physically every day in Iran or in Yemen or in North Korea or in many, and offered them a chance to come here, maybe some of them would want to come here. But I think I bet my bottom dollar, so to speak, that if they get a taste for what it's like spiritually here in terms of the the the, the lukewarmness of the church, the indifference, the apathy, the lethargy, the contradiction. But maybe that's what we need. <laughs> but I, what, what I'm saying, what, see, so what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, were they then to come and experience that? I think they'd want to go back to where they came from. Well, I, re- I remember reading a book that spoke about um, people who'd been imprisoned in other countries for their their faith and like Brother Yun. Yeah, and the prayers that they asked for were not to do with getting out. The prayers were for endurance, which is what you read in these passages of scripture and revelation and other places that the prayer is for endurance through the persecution, Mm -hmm. but also having, you know, when you read their own um, testimonies of their closeness with Jesus during those periods and, you know, that having then come out from prison, Mm. that they would go back for Mm -hmm. that sense of closeness with him again and Mm -hmm. it's hard to get it's it's impossible to get your head around that because most of us have just never have never experienced that no but i think this is a really good place to finish this episode today and also the effectively the little mini series eschatology explained by talking about suffering i think suffering is is intended actually by god to be the the distinct uh, separator of those who are genuine and those who are not. Um, If you've not read my letter to the church, I can't remember when I wrote it, within the last 12 months, I think, is your church faithful? An open letter to the church, um, looking at 2 Timothy and the suffering... um, It's so central to the way that God's people have always been on the earth um you know god's people were protected in israel they didn't they weren't zapped off the planet mm. when the judgments of god fell in in in, in sovereignty and sovereign power in israel sorry in, in egypt god's people were protected and there was a suffering that that led up to that um I think I think this is really the the biggest reason why eschatology isn't something to be dismissed as being for another time mm. or being a non-essential thing that we shouldn't be agreeing to disagree or separating over because ultimately eschatology is preparing um God's people to be faithful which means preparing God's people to suffer sorry about this noise on the microphone um and so I think it was one of the guys, Sam Storms, at the end. What did he say? Why, why were they? He was he was kind of comparing himself with the pre-mill position. Mm-hmm. What was it he'd said? Well, um, thinking about how it, it affects our ex- expectations for the future, i.e., as Christians, 
and how the church lives out its life in light of that. Yeah. Do we have expectations? This is what we broached before COVID in the film The Draft, the future of the church. The crossroads that we'd already come to, obviously, where some Christians were saying, of course God blesses uh, homosexuality. I mean, we didn't need COVID. We didn't need a lockdown for us to wake up and get real, which is why mm-hmm. we'd called for the churches to be closed ahead of ahead of that. Um, what are our expectations of the church moving forward and how does eschatology relate with that because of this emphasis on suffering? You know, in short, post-millennialism doesn't expect there to be a suffering in the same way as amillennialism mm-hmm. or pre-mill. Um, and for me, that's the most compelling part of this. It's it's this whole thing of just kind of like sleepwalking into uh, a place where you, you will just be swept away. Mm. You know, this great luxury, and I, I won't apologize for repeating this, it's at the current moment that we're speaking to you, it's a Tuesday, nearly midday, nearly lunchtime on Tuesday, the 2nd of August, 2022. We are in the midst, we're in the middle, we're, oh, well, I don't know if we're in the middle of it, but we are certainly in the great luxury of afforded time to prepare. Mm. Um, and I see the church manifestly not doing that. In other words, I think the church manifestly, as, as we are, generally speaking, just sleepwalking to a place where the love of most will grow cold, will just be swept away because we are utterly, utterly unprepared for the despising to come. And one of the features of these eschatological passages, Roman, uh, not Romans, um, Revelation 20 and that kind of thing, is, is the, fulling, the fullest sense of the enemy, Satan being unleashed against the people of God, where we'll see Jerusalem surrounded by some kind of you know, um, coalition of nations. But we're, we're seeing the precursor for that now. Mm-hmm. If you watch somebody talking with venom, about about people like us who believe that God says, no, we shouldn't be dismembering our children and selling their body parts for profit. Abortion is an abomination. Um, people speak with, with fizz, you know, with fuming rage. Mm. It, all of this is a precursor of the rage of Satan that will be unleashed on the church, mm-hmm. not just on the world, but on the church come come the final days. Now, that's relevant even if we don't live through that. Yeah. You know, if if you're a loving leader, a loving pastor, you will prioritize this preparation, not just for your own immediate family, but for for generations mm-hmm. to come if we're afforded that. So we're afforded this great luxury of preparation. And the question I have to keep on under God impressing on as many people that are willing to listen to me is, are you preparing for that reality of despising? Let's talk about this Sunday because it's the best example we can give. You and I are just newbies at this. We're mm. we're in a, a kind of, I suppose, repenting of our own inactivity with regards to the gospel and how that's been a chronic thing and how that's something we've inherited and been mm. raised in. And so we've just come back from a two or three week break, um, which was much needed. But but there, there is a sense in which now we're anticipating going back on the street. We're not part of a church because there aren't any faithful churches around us. And you can call me and say whatever you want against me for saying that, Mm. but it's true. Um, And the thought of taking the seven-foot cross out onto the streets and being faithful to what the Lord's shown us, which is that this church are destructively 
opposed to the gospel and antichrist. You and I are facing that prospect of going out on the street on our own on Sunday. Yeah. So we're anticipating a form of suffering, but it's child's play. Yeah. <laughs> it's child's play. But I, my, my guess is that most Christians, most of you listening to my voice now, are not anticipating even that. Because you're anticipating going to church on a Sunday, a church that probably isn't engaged in faithful gospel witness, certainly that would even attract and draw the kind of suffering that we've already experienced outside this church. Um, this is why eschatology is important. Mm. It's unavoidable. You, the only way that you will avoid suffering, like the kind of suffering that's increasing, is if you choose not to be faithful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nobody's going to hate you if you just accept the world's standards for everything. You will be loved by the world. And, and Jesus says uh, yeah. you can't do that. You can either... You can't have both. You can't have both. No. We can't have both. And there is, I think, it's easy to to acknowledge the struggle that goes in there between your flesh and between faithfulness because none of us want to be hated. But of course not. in the book of Matthew, which I've just been reading through in the last few weeks, you know, Jesus talks about it. He says if he did, if they did this, killed him, tortured him, if they did this to the master of the house, how much more can they expect you mm. can you expect as servants of him? And it's it's an awful it's an awful reality, but Jesus has told us this is what he said will happen mm-hmm. if if we're faithful. Yeah, and as I've as we've said recently, what generally happens is that the the power, the, the force on the human heart and even the spirit to not be despised, to not be hated, to not know fear and trembling is greater than the desire that we have to see God's power. Hmm. That is that is generally speaking. And I want to just challenge you, if you're listening to me, are you open to, to recognising that within your church within your within your church community perhaps it's not true of your community in which case praise god um but are you open to recognizing that dynamic of the 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 desire to avoid any kind of fear and trembling or the despising which is all i think a precursor of that which is coming it's just it's just a joke it's a child play what you and i are anticipating as being difficult on sunday mm. um that you recognizing that that is a stronger pull on your heart to avoid that than it is to see God's power move. It's a form of double-mindedness, yeah. mm-hmm. and we're not saying that we're kind of uh, kind of excluded from that. We're saying that we've recognized that within ourselves, and that we're doing something about it. And I would challenge us all to think along those lines if you're wanting to be faithful. And of course, Scripture, Jesus, is is always uses ifs and buts. Mm. Maybe just read this to finish, John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind, and that's, that's we could just finish there, keep in mind, keep in mind these eschatological realities. 
If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Therefore, we should be expecting extreme opposites. Mm. We should be expecting extreme opposites. Um, verse 21, they will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Father, we just thank you for for Jesus, your son. We thank you, Jesus, for your faithful witness. We thank you that you um, endured, for the joy set before you, endured the scorn of the cross. And um, Lord, I pray for this reality for us all listening, thinking, praying now as I speak, as we call upon your name, Lord, and we ask you to help your church as widely as possible to come into a mature prophetic understanding of what it means to be hated without cause, hated without reason, and to be able to pray the prayer of Stephen or the prayer of Jesus, Jesus on the cross when you ask for forgiveness for those who hated you without cause. We pray for that maturing prophetic character within your church, within those leading churches to to come into being, to in, to increase, Lord, maybe even to take root for the first time. And Lord, we pray for these different positions as people think about them, that you would enable us all to become much more expert and skillful in that right sense with your word, rightly handling and dividing the word of truth. And Lord, that we wouldn't be looking to one or two individual people to do that for us, but that we would take personal responsibility and that we would make the changes that we need to make in the rest of our lives and the way that we spend time, the way that we invest money, the people that we do life with in order to make that possible. Let it not just be a pipe dream. Let it not just be some kind of theoretical hope or vague ascent, but let it be something that becomes rooted in our Monday to Fridays and our weekends and throughout the day, Lord, I pray, Lord, that your people would understand the current place that we're in of being afforded all this time to prepare. And Lord, I ask you to help us to understand your word in a way that we never have before. Give greater care and, and attention to what it is you're hearing. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. And Father, I just pray that as we as we consider your word, as we consider about your return and everything that that involves, what your word tells us about it, I pray that we would be not just studious of the things that you've put in scripture for us to read, but that we would embrace them and that mm. we would live the things that you have called us to do, Lord, and when we think about when you taught your disciples about your return, it was going to be difficult, it was going to be traumatic, it was going to involve 
all kinds of things that we just want to avoid that mm-hmm. our our flesh doesn't want to be involved with and it doesn't want to doesn't mm-hmm. want to do and Lord I just pray that we would be faithful and watchful and mm-hmm. attentive as you commanded us to be in your word and that Holy Spirit that you would help us to do this that you would um give us the courage and give us the words and um just be with us in that way that you know that we need and just pray all these things today jesus in your name amen Amen.